You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Dear Church, this is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It's great to be with you today. My name is Josh. Uh, We're going to wrap up our series today on the seven different letters to the different churches in the book of Revelations. So I have a memory as being a kid. I was thirsty all the time. There's this amazing invention that I send my kids to school with today. It's called a water bottle. And I don't know why when I grew up in the 80s and went to elementary school, um, no one had heard or seen of a water bottle before. Um, So I remember going to the water fountain and the kid behind you uh, would do one of two things. He would start counting out one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, and tell you how to be finished at the drinking fountain in 10 seconds. Um, Or he would start uh, poking you and saying, hey, are you going to drink the whole river? And where I grew up in the Midwest, um, you you couldn't actually do that, as opposed to maybe San Antonio, um, maybe you could drink the, the whole river. Um, I just I just remember being thirsty. Uh, and uh, in the middle of summer, it would be hot outside uh, and going uh, playing, and uh, it's like it doesn't hit you until it hits you all of a sudden that you can't do anything else but get a drink of water. And of course, growing up in the Midwest, Uh, In the hot summer, what would you do? You would turn on the water hose in front of your house uh, and start drinking from the hose. And uh, 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 if you were smart and you had enough self-control to wait for the good stuff, um, you'd get cold water. But if you didn't, you got that lukewarm, nasty, bitter-tasting water out of the hose. Well, and today we're going to talk about the church in Laodicea, uh, and uh, it's called the Lukewarm Church. So Laodicea was one of these seven cities uh, in present-day Turkey um, that uh, Jesus was addressing uh, when he spoke to John, the revelation to John um, that's captured in the book of Revelations. Three important things uh, about the city of Laodicea. First, it was a very wealthy city. Uh, It specialized in banking. Second, it also had a medical school, and it was famous for exporting uh, medicine or isalve throughout and across the empire in in Roman times. And third and finally, it was also known 
as a large for a large textile industry and actually specialized in black wool uh, and lo and behold I did not know this but uh, sheep all sheep are not white uh, some of them are actually black and so that was something that uh, the city specialized in uh, as well so they were wealthy there was a medical school for for eye treatments that they were famous for uh, and they had a large textile industry specializing in black wool. And that's gonna be important for us as we look at the passage um, in a little bit here. Uh, another thing that's really important about the history of this church, uh, and this was common with some of the other churches in the same re uh, region that suffered the same, um, they had a major earthquake in around AD 60. Uh, the city had major damage, uh, but the city, because of its resources and the tenacity of the citizens that were there, they were able to rebuild um, the city on their own. Uh, and they, in the process of doing that, they were offered uh, assistance from the Roman government um, to help them rebuild the city, but they actually refused it. Um, they had their own resources, uh, their own work ethic, work ethic and tenacity, and they rebuilt it uh, themselves. So the book of Revelations, which was written around 30, 35 years later, around 80, 95, um, this, this still, this tenacity uh, and their perseverance and their, and, and their uh, uh, hard work ethic uh, was something that was still part of their culture uh, of their city. So if you turn and actually look and see what Jesus has to say to the church, it's not anything positive. Uh, in fact, unlike the other six churches that we've talked about up to this point, um, there was nothing positive to say. All the other churches had, um, call it a, uh, a feedback sandwich, something good to say, uh, and uh, something um, for the church to improve on. Um, there's no sandwich here, it's straight, um, this church, you, you have a problem that's significant that you need to address. So let's dive into it. I'm going to read uh, from Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to uh, first read verses 14 and 15 if you want to open up um, your Bible and follow along. So in verse 14, it says this, And to the angel of the Lord, I'm oh, sorry, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. You are lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. Um, that's uh, a pretty serious uh, claim there. Uh, so the key, warm, key word in this, it's, it's lukewarm. Um, the Greek word, if you look it up, and there's a reason why, why I'm sharing the Greek with you, it's kliaros uh, uh, is, is the word. That uh, means tepid or lukewarm is what it means. That's a translation. Um, and this is the only place that it shows up in scripture. And it's always a little complicated when there's a unique word that shows up in the Greek or the Hebrew and how you interpret it and what that means. So um, if you've heard someone teach, if you've been in the church for a long time, around the church, around teaching in the church, um, if you're like me, you've heard somebody interpret um, uh, this passage, uh, and it's very common, it's a fluctuation of your, of your faith, of your individual faith between being hot and cold. And, um, and that's a very common interpretation. Uh, and uh, certainly that's, that's, that's not a positive thing, uh, but I don't know that it's the right interpretation. Uh, I think there's some challenges with it. The first is if, if we go through a cold spell and uh, well, I'll tell you, uh, I've been through a few of those. Um, do I think God is done with me and he's gonna spit me out uh, and he's not gonna have anything to do with me? No, I, I don't think that's how, how God works. Uh, and the second is, in, in the context of this, it's really to a church, it's not to an individual. 
uh, and uh, a lot of the application of uh, this passage gets applied to someone's individual walk. So I want to look at it from a little bit different perspective. So uh, to do that, we have to understand a little more history uh, about the church. So um, the city had a very unique system for getting water. And if, you, if you've read much about Roman um, cities uh, and their history, they're famous for their aqueducts and how they move water around uh, and their public utilities and the infrastructure there. Uh, and it's really amazing uh, that, they, uh, that they built these things. So if you look at the community though around the city, um, there's some differences in the water supplies all within a 10 or 15 mile uh, radius of uh, Laodicea. So there's another town nearby called Heropolis, uh, and they were famous for hot medicinal baths. Uh, and then also another nearby town, Colossal, um, Colossae, uh, was uh, famous for cool water that came from a mountain stream. And you talk about uh, uh, a reprieve from a hot summer day, and think about that cold stream, um, or <laughs> if you're out in the cold or you've done a hard day's worth of work, uh, what it's like to get into a uh, a hot sauna, a hot tub, or a hot bath at the end of a hard working day. Um, those are both um, great experiences uh, to have uh, and refreshing in different ways uh, with water. Uh, so Laodicea was different. Um, there was another, there was a hot springs that was about six miles away uh, and they didn't have any closer water source to the town. And so they piped in uh, that water through an aqueduct system. Uh, and by the time it reached them, as you would imagine, it wasn't hot and refreshing like a, a uh, hot bath anymore, nor was it cold and refreshing as a cold mountain stream. Um, it was lukewarm water. Um, so this church, when they were spoken to about being lukewarm, um, there was a context that they would have clearly understood. Um, so what is, it, what is it really about then? What is the passage about? So as I said, hot water is great for baths, cold water is great for drinking, lukewarm water is good for... Anybody got any ideas? Um, nothing. That's the problem. The church was not useful in meeting its purpose. So I think it's, it's a, so first, what is the purpose of the church? And, and we, could, we could have a sermon series on that alone. Uh, so I'm gonna give you the Cliff Notes version of that in my mind. And there's, there's other passages uh, you can look at and study this if you wanted to, but I'd break it down into three core things. Uh, one, worshiping God. Two, evangelizing the world, the Great Commission. Um, and then maturing believers, or you'll see it in scripture, called edifying uh, the body, uh, building us all up. And if I want to translate this another way, even more simplistic, I'd say um, the church's purpose is in loving God and loving people. And if you're on church, are unfamiliar and not knowing God, that's evangelizing people, bringing them to the truth of God. And then if you are a believer, that's growing and maturing uh, in our belief and our relationships uh, with each other. That is, again, loving God. Uh, and loving people. That is the purpose of the church. And they failed in achieving that purpose. So the next question, and I think it's, we know the symptoms now, uh, what's, what's the underlying root cause? How did they get this way? And the passage lays that out. So I wanna uh, read on here, verses 17 to 18 in chapter three. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. Um, if you read this, you see right away. It says, it says that they say they're rich, that they've prospered, and they need nothing. And you talk about that history, and you look at the history of the church and how they built themselves back up from that earthquake. Um, they had some pride. And is it wrong to take some pride in uh, accomplishing something? Uh, no. Is it wrong to take your identity in it? Isn't it wrong not to give credit to God? Um, uh, no, that's, that's not okay. Uh, they've taken their pride um, too far. Um, and they don't realize uh, where they stand on their own because of their self-reliance. Uh, and it goes on and he gives them direction on what to do. And this ties back into the other things that I mentioned about the city, about them being wealthy, about their medical school and their eye ointment uh, and um, their, uh, their garment industry. Um, so he tells them, uh, being very direct to the heart of their identity and who they are as a city, he says, look, uh, you don't need gold from your, your financial bank system, from your wealth. You need gold refined by fire. And that's true spiritual riches is what that means instead of, of, of personal riches or wealth of the world. Second, he goes on to say, uh, you, need, you need white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And, and that's contrasting to that black sheep, that black wool um, that they were famous for in their textile industry. And he's saying they need that. Uh, they need clothing from God instead. That's his righteousness that comes only from Christ. And then finally, it says, salve to know your eyes so that you may see. Uh, and that's seeing the truth of God's kingdom and, and the calling, the door that gets opened um, and the, the calling of the spirit of what God is calling them to do in the church. So they are poor, blind, and naked uh, at the core of their identity of what they put their reliance on in themselves and the culture of the, around the, of the, of the city around them that the church is in. Uh, and and then instead of being built up and being reliant on God. And that's their diagnosis. That's what's wrong. They are self-reliant and not God-reliant. Uh, and Jesus says very clearly here, if you're self-reliant, you're useless to God and his kingdom. And that prognosis, if it's unchecked, it's not good. Uh, it's talking about being spit out. Um, the self-reliant church and the self-reliant individual um, closes the door to Jesus in their lives. And, and the passage goes on and talks about um, uh, what um, the, the next steps are in overcoming that problem of self-reliance. Uh, and let, let me read it. I talk, talk, kind of talk from personal perspective a little bit too here. So I'm going to read verses 19 to 22. Those whom I love, I, re I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I think it's easy, and you, know, you look at our culture and you compare our culture maybe with the Laodicean culture. Um, we believe in hard work and a work ethic in American society. We believe that uh, if you put your mind to something and you work hard, you can accomplish anything um, and you can pursue your dreams and uh, take on the world. 
Uh, and uh, um, is, it, is it bad to be strong? Is it bad to work hard? Is it bad to set your mind to something to achieve things? Um, no, I, I, don't, I don't think it is. Um, but as Christians, as the church, uh, in our spiritual walk, um, those same tenets uh, at the core of, of that trying to be how we accomplish success in our church and our spiritual life, it doesn't work that way. That's not the way of God's kingdom. Instead of self-reliance and hard work, um, it's reliance on God and walking with His Spirit. Um, so he talks about a treatment to this in the passage that I just read. Uh, first is being open to God's discipline. Um, God, God works in tough circumstances um, to show us uh, a different path. He asks us to repent, which means to change our different ways. I think it's, it's realizing through maybe some of the trials and challenges of life when we're too reliant on our own hard work, because um, life does have a way of getting bigger than what we can handle. Uh, and those are opportunities to repent and realize that uh, we're not doing this, we're not accomplishing God's mission as a church or individually in our life uh, if we're not doing that um, with reliance on God. And that's opening the door um, to follow God's spirit in, in the small things. It's not what we plan and set out the task at hand that we set out to do every day. That may be the most important thing in God's kingdom. It may be the chance conversation um, or the relationship you have with the coworkers that you, that you work with every day. Um, it's not how we perform uh, as a service at church. It might be the relationship you have with the person sitting next to you uh, on the pew that matters much more in God's kingdom. So some thoughts um, as a church, how we can be more Jesus-reliant and less self-reliant. First, it's knowing the mission of the church. And I talked about that, loving God, loving other people, um, evangelizing the world uh, and what that means. That's a big calling. And if you tune into that, there's a reality there. You, we, you as an individual, me as an individual, we're not accomplishing that. That is the mission of the church is huge. It's God big and we need to be dependent um, on God. If you focus on that task and realize how large it is, that's going to help us not to try to tackle that uh, on our own. We can't. Second, I think it's, it's great if you have talents and you put them to work and our church thrives off the fact we have um, committed volunteers that are passionate about doing different things, uh, whether that's um, serving in the nursery, children's ministry, um, greeting, um, helping maintain the facilities, the worship team, etc. That's great. And, and they have wonderful talents uh, and skills they've picked up in other areas of their life, and they bring them here to the church and contribute. And it, it does matter a lot. Uh, I think it's important, though, in, that, in those talents that we have, that they came from God to begin with. He enabled us to learn those skills and have those talents, and he blessed them with them, uh, with them um, so they could be used for his kingdom. And that keeps us away from thinking of what, what we're doing and accomplishing or what we're capable of accomplishing with the talents when we realize they were God-given to begin with. Uh, third, it's just praying and, and praying some more. Uh, I feel like the power of prayer is in opening our hearts to be receptive for what God's will is. And then it comes in the next important part, and the passage loses, alludes to this. Uh, it says the doors are closed um, for, for God. He's knocking on the door, but the church has closed the door. Unlike Philadelphia that we heard about last week, 
where uh, the doors are open, uh, the doors are closed here. This is tuning into the spirit and listening to what doors God wants to open up uh, in my mind. And when you pray, uh, first, you're going to be tuning in to be open to what God's will is. And if you look and listen, um, the spirit will lead you. And finally, uh, the last item um, is to be relationship-oriented instead of task-oriented and when you go about doing um, your ministry and doing life in general. I guess it's interesting, I've been here at the church now 23 years, which is hard to believe. Um, I guess I do have a few gray hairs on my head. Uh, and it's been interesting. I've been part of the worship team. Actually, when I started coming to the church and how I got plugged into the church, I was involved in a campus ministry in college. And uh, I learned how to play the bass there. Someone in the actual ministry, I'd never, I'd never had any musical experience before then, didn't know how to play an instrument. And someone, they needed someone to play bass. And bass is a, is a relatively simple instrument to learn, maybe a lifetime to master. Uh, and uh, uh, I learned how to play there. And I was actually looking for a church. I was given advice by a minister when I moved to San Antonio back in 1999 to find a church to try to serve in and, and, and uh, uh, get connected that way. So I came to the church and uh, uh, after the service, uh, Tim Duff was the worship leader. If you've been here a while, you knew who Tim Duff was. And, and I walked up and introduced myself and said, hey, you need a bass player. And uh, he was like, yes, we do. And, uh, and 22 years, 22 years later, um, here I am. And that's probably why I, I, I stayed initially. Um, and it's interesting, I look back from 23 years of serving on the worship uh, team. Um, I've had the privilege of, of working along a lot, a lot of great individuals, uh, but the folks that you know, and if you've been here a while, like Tim Duff was the, the one I starred with, uh, and uh, uh, I look back and how I remember each of these. So Tim, and then uh, served with Bill Crouch for a number of years, and then more recently, uh, Monica, and now uh, with, with Elijah as the worship leader. And I look back on, on those other worship leaders that I've been with, uh, and, you, and you may know them from like um, uh, being on stage and pouring singing and, and the heart that they share with you all. Um, I got a chance to just be closer with them, like share meals with them and spend a lot of time with them over the years and practices. And, um, and actually, you know, as much as I appreciated their musical talents, what I actually remember about them was the relationships and friendships uh, and the life that I shared with them. Tim was a, uh, was a passionate individual, uh, full of life, and uh, was, as a young adult, he was invested and concerned about me and, and how I was doing in life. Uh, Bill Crouch, uh, extremely wise individual, and uh, became a person in life that I could talk to or call up or when I had an impasse with something, um, always had immense wisdom and discernment uh, and, and used it for good. Uh, even if it wasn't an, always an easy pill to swallow. I remember that about Bill and uh, greatly appreciated it. And then, and then I got an opportunity to serve with Monica for a number of years as well. And uh, she was in my life group with her and her and her husband. And Monica had an incredible heart uh, and wisdom. It was interesting to see in her life how she knew how to be in tune with God's spirit, uh, but also her, her Bible knowledge, uh, her intellect, and how she applied that, and the passion that she had for people individually, um, I think was, uh, was more powerful than her musical talent, which was, which was wonderful. Uh, but I look back on that, and it was, it was the relationships and the heart of those people that mattered more much more than the task 
uh, of, of running the worship service or the talents, relying on their own talents to get something done. It was the spirit and the truth that they lived with that was more powerful in their ministry um, than, again, any, any, any of their talents or any of their hard work could have resulted. And, and they, they had hard work and they had talent, but that wasn't what it was about. Um, so I want to challenge you all. Some next steps, I think, in trying to follow that example. Um, and, and this is, I, 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 can, I can speak plainly with you and, and say, like, I, I, I believe hard work goes a long ways. And uh, uh, I'm a very task-oriented individual. And, and uh, uh, I'm not good at relaxing. And, and, and uh, uh, even when I get together with people, I want to play a game or do something. Uh, and, and I can be too task-oriented and, and uh, work-oriented and self-reliant-oriented. Uh, and this is, this is a challenging for me in my heart to talk about this. So I think next steps and um, speaking to myself as much as you all is, is how can we be uh, looking for ways in our life we can be more God-reliant and less self-reliant? So that's part of that's uh, living holistically, church and life outside of church. But so if you're, if you're involved in ministry, how does that work? And then secondly, um, in thinking about outside of church, um, you know, looking for a role or task that you do routinely um, that involves other people and, and looking for ways you can be more relationship-oriented as you go about those tasks. Because remember, the purpose of the church is loving God and loving people.